And let's just go to God in prayer and let's worship him at this time. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege to be in your house. We thank you, Lord, for this day in particular, Lord, the day of the celebration of your resurrection. We ask you, God, to bless each and every one of us today, touch our lives and hearts. Thank you for the word of God. That's a light unto our feet, a lamp unto our pathway. Bless every soul here this morning. Bless our morning services all the way through. In Jesus' name, we praise and love you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Turn to your friend next to them and shake their hand and next to you and shake their hand. Greet them in Jesus' name. Tell them they look nice. Amen. You're glad they're here on Easter. <clears throat> praise God. We are in the study of the book of Daniel, but today I'm going to digress from that and talk to you about the resurrection. But I have not forgotten our subject that we are on. And uh, there are many things that I want to be talking to you about in the weeks ahead concerning Daniel and Daniel's prophecy and events that are happening in the world today. As you well know, there's a lot of things going on right now, a lot of things. And uh, so I just want to sort of show you in the scriptures where all of these things are, while they may not be mentioned individual in detail, the small things, yet the overall picture is there. And I'm going to be talking to you about the book of Daniel. Today, I want to talk to you about the resurrection. <clears throat> and I've chosen as my subject here today, uh, the subject of infallible proofs, infallible proofs. And I want to have you turn with me to Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Luke 1, 1. And these, this is the opening statement to the book of Luke written by Luke himself. And I want to read the first four verses to you here. And this is Luke when he is starting out to write the book of Luke or the gospel of Jesus Christ according to Luke. And it says here in verse chapter 1, verse 1, for as much... As many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us. I want you to notice the emphasis he puts on that. Those things which are most surely believed among us. Then he goes on to verse 2 and says, Even as they delivered them unto us which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. Luke was not one of the original 12 uh, apostles. He was not one of the 12 apostles. He was a disciple. Mar of the gospel writers, Matthew and John were, one of, were each of the 12 apostles. The 12, I mean, there are other apostles that were sent by the church, but the 12 is a very special group. And uh, Luke was a disciple of the Lord. But he, and he later came to the Lord and so forth, but he was not one of the 12 originally. So he speaks of them as those who delivered them unto us from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. Verse three, it seemed good to me also having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first. Luke is saying here, when I heard this, and I began to see it in the light of the scriptures of the Old Testament, I knew it was right. And I never questioned it. Now, can I just say this to all of us here today? There are some people when they come to the Lord and they hear the gospel preached, it clicks. And they say, you know what? That's the truth. That's really the way it is. 
and their heart is touched. They give their heart to God. They never look back and they walk with God all the days of their lives. Now that's the kind of person Luke was and he declared himself to be so. Some people have to scrutinize a lot of things, weigh a lot of things in the balances. They got to check everything out from A to Z and so forth. Maybe that's the personality, but whatever it is, God will let you know what you have to know for you to understand that he was who he was. Praise the Lord. I'm talking about Jesus Christ as the Messiah. So I'm going to finish reading here in Luke chapter 1, verse 3. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus. Theophilus was some kind of a diplomat or he was some kind of potentate or very important person. Uh, probably a Gentile of his day and time. And he had heard about Jesus and he wasn't sure what it was all about. So Luke says, I'm going to write to him and tell him and explain to him and show him and give him the whole story about Jesus Christ. And so he writes to this man, Theophilus, uh, all the books and literature that I've read about Theophilus, no one really knows who he was. They just know that he was referred to as most excellent Theophilus. Um, then he goes on to say in verse 4, look at this one very closely, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. The certainty. No doubt, no shadow of turning, no, uh, no misunderstanding. It is definite and it is sure. Now this was Luke's writing uh, when he wrote the book of the Gospels and he addressed it uh, to this man, Theophilus. Now, ironically, Luke also wrote the book of Acts. If you'll turn to the book of Acts with me, chapter 1, verse 1. I want to show you something else here. And ironically, again, he addresses the book of Acts to Theophilus. Look at Acts chapter 1, verse 1. The former treatise, that is the gospel book that he's already written, the former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. And then it goes on to say, until the day in which he was taken up, speaking of Jesus, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, verse three, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. I want to take from my text here today infallible proofs. And I want to talk to you here today about how God has made it known to us that we can be without any shadow of doubt knowing that Jesus Christ was God. Jesus Christ, praise the Lord, came to this world. That Jesus Christ uh, died on the cross, that he rose again the third day and that he is alive and well, praise the Lord, and we have the same hope that he, that he made for us, that that is the resurrection and the glorification of our bodies. Praise the Lord. I won't go into that part of it, but I just want to talk to you here today about the infallible proofs. Uh, in the court of law, there are uh, different uh, witnesses and different objects and things that can be a witness for a person or against a person, if a person like is, is, is being tried, it's called circumstantial evidence. Circumstantial evidence is the evidence 
that a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit, and they can stack up until it gives you the picture that the one who is being prosecuted is indeed guilty of what he is. But it's all circumstantial, and it takes a lot of circumstantial evidence to prove that a person is guilty. Let's, I'm going to just use a hypothetical case here. Let's suppose uh, the man comes in, from his, comes in with his wife from, uh, say, a Christmas party, and they come home in their house, and, and a burglar's been there, and he goes out the window real fast. And he looks around, and he finds out he's missing $200 that was on the bureau. His wife is missing her wedding rings. And he looks in the cupboard in the dining room, and the silver's gone. He looks around, nothing else is taken. The TV's still there, a computer's still there, a lot of things. He just didn't have the time to get it all, so he got a few things. He got some things and went on his way, you know. Uh, the police start looking around, asking questions, and they find out that uh, some woman said, yeah, she saw a guy about that time running down the sidewalk with some stuff in his arms and he had a hoodie on and all that kind of stuff. And uh, they get to checking around and they find out that a certain guy at a certain house uh, across town uh, that seemed to fit all of that, they get a search warrant to go in his house, they find the hoodie or find a hoodie. You know what I'm talking about, those hoods things. They find out and they say, okay, this is evidence. They look around and they find silverware. And uh, yeah, that, uh, that looks like the silverware and uh, that it was stolen. And look around and they find a set of wedding rings, all right? All of these are circumstantial. And they go into a court of law and they're having the case and they say, here's a witness, these three items here are all circumstantial evidence that this man was the thief and he stole it from these people. But the defense lawyer says, my client, the accused, he says that the silverware he bought, and it's his silverware, it belongs to him. They may have had the same brand, but you can't prove this is theirs. You understand what I'm saying? The $200 can be anybody. Yeah, we found that he had $200, but you know, because they went in and search warrant and checked him out before we had a chance to hide everything. Yeah, he had $200, but anybody's got $200 on them. You can't say that that money is this one's whenever it's, there's no evidence of it. And the wedding rings, he said his grandmother gave it to him whenever, I'm just using a hypothetical story here. He said his grandmother gave it to him years ago when she was older and she's passing away. And she says, when you find the girl you love, you, would you, you know, give her my rings as a gift from me to you and her and blah, blah, blah. And so this is how he has the ring. So he had told the lawyer, this is how I have all these things. And so now you're in this, uh, is the guy guilty or not? I mean, all you have is circumstantial evidence. Then the man that had been robbed says to his prosecuting attorney, on the inside of the band of the ring is four initials. It says A, B, two, uh, CB. I'm just using those initials, you know. That stand AB is my name, Abe uh, Brian. Let's say that, you know, A Brian. And that's my wife's name, Carol Brian. That's my initials to her when I gave it to her for a wedding brand. And suddenly he says, Your Honor, inside those wedding bands is the initials of my client who is saying that, that they were stolen. And that is conclusive, conclusive, that is without a shadow of a doubt, 
That is infallible evidence that these rings literally belong to this guy. Therefore, this guy is the burglar. He did take it and everything else he's saying, he's lying about it. Now, do you understand what I'm saying? Infallible evidence. And with God, there are things that are evidence. And there's a lot of evidence of a lot of things, but some things are just simply infallible. And I want to talk to you a little bit here this morning about the resurrection has an infallible evidence. Praise the Lord. There's no way in the world you can deny it. And that's what Luke was talking about when he wrote to Theophilus. He said he talked about the infallible, the infallible uh, records and the infallible things that God had showed him, uh, them. And he talked about also in the, in the book of Luke and also in the book, knowing the certainty of these things and those things which are most surely believed among us. And then he talks about and many infallible proofs so that there is no shadow of doubt that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And if he rose from the dead, we have a hope. And that's how we have the hope and why we have the hope is because there is a resurrection. Praise the Lord. And I want to talk to you about this resurrection a little bit here today. Uh, you see, there are religious groups who believe in Jesus Christ and I'm not going to knock any religion. I don't even want to name no, 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 no branch of Christianity or anything. But they believe in Jesus Christ, but they don't believe he is God Almighty. They, they believe that he is, uh, some of them believe he's Michael the Archangel that was incarnated. That's what they believe. And they don't say we are Jesus' witnesses. They say we are, you know, somebody else's witnesses. And uh, there are those, and when they, when they come to Easter, they don't celebrate today, they celebrate Friday. Their whole story is Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He died on the cross, he shed his blood, he shed his blood. Everything's the cross. But when it comes to Sunday on the resurrection, they're quiet. And they're very silent about it. Because they don't believe in the resurrection. And I've debated some of them in years past. And I asked one, one time, I said, uh, and I've told you this before, and if I did, excuse me while I say it again. But I've asked them, I said, uh, they said, uh, you know, Jesus never rose from the dead. And I said, uh, what happened to his body? If he died and was put in the grave, what happened to his body? And they said, we don't know. I said, da-da, I know, it's in the book. It says, it says it in the book. And how you can deny chapters of of verses that declare it, praise the Lord, and then say we're still Christians, I'll never know how that comes about. But how, somehow or another, they're able to convince themselves Jesus really never rose again. Years ago, when I was a, a young man, they came out with a, a book. I think it was a Jewish writer, a Jewish guy that wrote this book, but it was called The Passover Plot. And it was a big... He wrote this book saying that there was a scheme that his disciples had all put together and that Jesus went to the cross and actually he was given some kind of drug to make him go unconscious to look like he was dead and all that kind of stuff. And so when they took him down, they took him down to be dead. They put him in the tomb and then he went on to say, remember, it was his own disciples that buried him, you know. And then after he was buried and they got him alive, they got him back out, he got well, he came out and then he left and fled and he told everybody his, he had risen from the dead. And that was the, plus, the, 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 the Passover plot. 
And yet the Bible says, the scripture says, they pierced his side with a spear. Now, if you're hanging up on a cross and you've got nails in your hand, that alone will take you out. You've got thorns pressed in your skull and stripes on your back. That alone will take you out. And then they thrust the spear into your side. And he said, out came blood and water. Praise the Lord, which meant it went through some organs there. I'm just pointing out these things in a very natural way to you. And yet somebody tries to get away from the fact that he rose again. But I want to just tell you today that the truth, praise the Lord, behind it all is that Jesus literally rose from the dead. And that's the greatest story in Christianity. And that's the hope we have. And that's why Paul said in the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, if Jesus Christ rose not from the dead, then we have no hope. Paul says that. What hope did we have if Jesus rose not from the dead? But he rose from the dead, and we see that, and we say, thank God, we have a hope. Because he says that, you know, where I am, there you shall be also, and so forth. I'm going to move on here a little bit. But the circumstantial evidences is found in a lot of things about God, even to this day, for people who may not even believe in God. And that's just, this is evidence against them. These are circumstantial evidences that there is a God. I'm going to sort of back it up a little bit. If you look with me in Romans, for, for Romans, the first chapter for a moment, let me show you these verses. This is where Paul is writing and says, the people that don't even know God are without excuse, that there is a God. Everybody with me? And here's what he says. I'm looking at 19th verse, Romans 1, 19. Those that don't even know God or don't believe in God or say this or they, they, don't, they don't know who God is, blah, blah, they're without excuse. He says here in verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest or is made known in them. For God hath showed it unto them. How has God showed the unbeliever and the atheist that he is God? How has he showed that to him? Look what it says here in verse 20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. The invisible things are seen. Wait a minute, Brother Myers. The invisible things can't be seen. Well, let me finish reading this verse. The invisible things of God from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made. Praise the Lord. Even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. What things are you talking about, Brother Myers? I'm talking about the heavens. I'm talking about the earth. The things that are made. They are his handiwork. You know, somebody has to say, I wonder who made all this, you know? I wonder where all this came from. And this story about evolution, I mean, that's the craziest theory that has ever cropped up. And I still amaze that intelligent people literally believe that, to believe that nothing, that something comes from nothing. And that's even against the scientific facts, you know, that nothing comes, I mean, something never comes from nothing. So that was nothing, and then all of a sudden there was something, you know? Somebody said, oh, there was a big explosion. I always say, what explosion? What was it that exploded? Where did that, what that exploded come from? (laughs) 
You know, way back there someplace, there has to be a beginning. And now you can say it came about this way, that way. I don't care how you want to say it comes about. I just take the word of God. However, there is a God who made it, praise the Lord. And since God has says that he was there from the beginning, he was before all things, he shall be there after all things. I have a tendency to say, God, you made it just like the word says you You spoke it into existence. Hallelujah. You just said, let there be and there was. Praise God. Because he is God. And because we are man and we are creatures of God. And our little cranium is inside this little skull of ours. You know, as big as size of a grapefruit or whatever. Some of them may be a little bigger, some a little smaller, I don't know. But inside of our skulls, and we think in here, we got it all figured out about God. You know how sad that is about man. So what I'm trying to point out to you here is that the Lord says they are without excuse. The world that says there is no God. No, 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 you're without excuse. The fool has said in his heart, I'm quoting scripture here. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Because when you look up and you see all of the glory of God and all the stars and you see the moon and the heavens and everything you see and you think, my God is so great. And so there's got to be somebody that made it. Then look at the earth. Start looking around. Look at all the animals. Look at all the fish of the sea. Look at all the birds of the air. Look at all the creatures on the ground. I mean, everywhere you look, look at the flowers. Look at the plants. I, 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 I have a little, a little, I have a swimming pool in my back. Yard and have a fenced in, they have some plants all around it. And I, I study those plants a little bit. I don't go there and just look with a micro. I just sit there sometime and look at them and watch them. And I am amazed at how they grow with nobody just messing with them, nobody touching them. And it seems like they got their own mind. They don't have their own mind. God's already planted it into them what they're to do, how they're to grow, how it is to develop. It's amazing. It's the wisdom of God that's put in everything. And if we were to take time to study what is around us and the elements around us and everything that's around the earth, you got to say, there's a God somewhere. Hallelujah. There's a God somewhere. Amen. Now, let me give you another verse if you want more scripture for that. Let me just uh, point this one out to you. This is Psalms 19, 1 and 2. Psalms 19, 1 and 2. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork, his handiwork. The heavens are his handiwork. You say, you know, he's got his fingerprint on everything. I mean, there's a signature. It's there. You just can't help but say, you know, God's got his hand on it. Hey, folks, think about it. We're living on this thing called Earth, this little ball out here in space spinning around. There's a moon that goes around it. There's a sun 93 million miles away that shines on it. And the earth turns just enough that we have day and night, day and night. You know, we need the night to sleep. We need the day, you know, to do our activities and our work and all the things we have to do in life. And then we have, we have the moon that gives us the monthly seasons and all of those things. And we have all of those things happening and the air on the earth is just right to breathe. Hey, what, 76% nitrogen and 21% oxygen? I forgot how it's all figured out, but anyhow. You know, the right amount of air to breathe for us. And look at the ground, just plain old dirt. And yet in that ground grows our food. Not only for us, but for all creatures that graze and eat and so forth. It's all right there. 
I'm just saying, isn't that amazing how that's all put together? God designed all that. And the temperature that we have, 93 million miles from the sun, just the right distance for us to have the right temperature to to live. It can either be real warm or it can be real cold, but in there in between some places, a place we can all handle, you know? I'm just saying that God has put all that together for us. And that's why the Bible says, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou hast visited. Let me finish reading this Psalms 19, 1 and 2 here. The, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where his voice is not heard. There is no language in the world where men cannot understand all of these creations that God has put forth and the word of the Lord comes forth in that fashion. Amen. And the book of Acts, Paul preaching uh, to the people at Lystra in the 14th chapter of the book of Acts says these words, reading from verse 15 down to 17. And saying, sirs, why do you this why do you these things? We also are men of like passion with you and preach unto you that you should turn from these uh, vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness. Notice that. He left not himself without a witness in that he did good He gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And what Paul is saying that even the things that happen to us in life is a witness and a testimony that God is good to us and God is real and God is there. Praise the Lord. Now what I've shown you here, praise the Lord, is just a series of of, uh, just circumstantial evidence that we can all know that there is a God. But when Jesus came, When Jesus came, it is God manifest in flesh. That's why the disciples said, we have handled him. We have touched him. We have walked with him. We have spoken to him. We have been with him, praise the Lord. In other words, God did not just say to humanity, here is my handiwork and you got to figure it out from there. That's circumstantial evidence. But I'm going to give you infallible proof. I'm going to come and walk among you, praise the Lord. And when I do, I'll give you proof as who I am. And he began to act in that, in that certain way. It go, the, Bible, the Bible talks about, says the, 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 the lame walked, uh, the leprosies were cleansed, he healed the sick, opened blinded eyes, uh, went on and on. All the miracles that he performed, fed 5,000, one place, 4,000, another place, fed the multitudes. This is men only, not counting the women and the children as well. And the Lord did all these miracles with just a few loaves of bread and fish and whatever he had in his hand and just broke them and fed all the, this was all the acts of God. That's why Jesus said, if you can't believe me, believe me for the work's sake, hallelujah, that the father's in me and I'm in him. Amen. And so Jesus is bearing all of these things out and the Isaiah's of the, the prophecies, of course, that came forth as well now. Jesus identified himself as that God. I want you to look with me in John 16 for a moment. This is John 14, I mean. John 14, 6. Look at this very closely here. This is Jesus saying, if you haven't figured it out yet, I am God that has come to this world. 
Isaiah 9, 6, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Peace. Hallelujah. The Everlasting Father, the Mighty God. Look, notice that. His name, Jesus, shall be called the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Pastor spoke so well Wednesday night. Wasn't that a beautiful service we had Wednesday night in the, in the, in the uh, communion service? Beautiful. We had 300 people here for communion on uh, Wednesday night. Uh, Friday night, I'm sorry. Friday night. I got my nights mixed up. Wednesday night was Bible study. On Friday night, we had, you know, 300 people here for this communion service. And the pastor spoke about how the peace that Jesus gives is one of the greatest testimonies you can give. And it's right there in the scriptures, the Prince of Peace. He is the Prince of Peace. Thank God for it. And I won't go any further than that. Uh, what a great message he gave us and, and, and what a great time we had in communion, worshiping the Lord. I want you to notice this in John 14 and 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you've got your Bibles, put a little underline there. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Folks, you can't come to the Lord any other way except through Jesus Christ. It's in the Bible. It's in the book. You, can't come to, you cannot come to God except through Jesus Christ. Mohammedanism won't get you there. Islam. B Buddhism won't get you there. That's right. Shintoism won't get you there. Jainism won't get you there. You know, you can go on and on. Confucianism will not get you there. You can take all the religions of the world and try to say, well, just, just if you're a good man, you know, you're getting, no, no, no. The Bible says that no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus said that. You got to go through Jesus Christ. And he's the only one that really gave his life on Calvary for the world. Nobody else did. I've studied all their lives. I've read all the books. I've studied all the 10 major religions of the world, I know. And I've read all about their founders and what they, and they all had good speeches and good stories, you know. And Mahavira and, and Buddha, you know, they'd go along with a little broom and sweep away all the bugs so they wouldn't step on nothing because they didn't want to kill anything. What a, what a great, you know, thing that is. They couldn't want to kill nothing, so they even took a broom and swept away the little bugs so they wouldn't step on a bug, you know. Well, I don't know. I kill them anyhow. I just <laughs> do like buck or roach or whatever. A roach, I don't like roaches for sure. But I mean, whatever it is. A little, I saw a little old tiny ant crawl around. I said, fella, you, got, you just had your last day on this earth. <laughs> you grow up to be a big fella and bite somebody. I don't want to be biting nobody in my, around my house. But what I'm just trying to say here, but these guys, you know, they were religious leaders and they did that. And uh, that was what they introduced to the world and gave to the world and so forth. But Jesus said, if you're going to come to the Father, you must come through him. I'm going to read verse six again. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me. The Father is God. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth, from now on, Ye know him and have seen him. Wow, what a powerful statement that is. And all of a sudden the apostles are, we've seen God. <laughs> you know? And Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth, or it will satisfy us. Verse 9, 
Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet thou hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father, and how sayest thou then show us the Father? Now what I'm trying to say is that Jesus Christ was God, because the Father is God. That's Isaiah 9, 6. And to us a child is born, a son is given, and his name should be called Wonderful Counselor. The mighty God, the everlasting Father. It's, a, it's there. It's in the scriptures. And it's all over the scriptures and everything. And so these are all evidences that Jesus Christ, without any kind of a proof, he is God Almighty. Praise the Lord. I'm going to get to the resurrection in a moment here. He goes on to say here, verse 10, Believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? Now, Brother Myers, how can you, how can the Father be in him? The Father is the Spirit, God the Spirit is in him. Okay, I can see that. But how is he in, in the Spirit? How is he in the Father? Well, let me use an illustration here. Let's suppose all the lights in this room were all out. We had one great big bulb up here in the middle of the room. And we turned on that light through the bulb and all the room lit up through that one bulb. Well, this room is full of light, but the light is in the bulb. And we'd have to say that the light is in the bulb, but because the room is full of light, the bulb is in the light. Everybody with me? Is that complicated? <laughs> Think about it for a moment. If the bulb is there and the light is in the bulb and it fills that's just a natural illustration. It fills the room. Then the light is in the bulb, yes. But the bulb is also in the light. Because God is a spirit and God is everywhere and there's no place God is not. Jesus Christ is in the Father. And because the Father was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, as the Bible says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 7, he was reconciling the world. Therefore, God is in Christ, Christ is in God. Praise the Lord. And so that's what Jesus said. He says, that, Believest thou not that I am in the Father, the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth, that means lives, that dwells in me, he doeth the works. So that all these miracles that you see, it's the divine spirit of God that's in me, that's doing the works, it's God himself. Believe not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, repeats it in verse 11. Or else believe me for the very work's sake. You can't, read that. you can't believe it for that reason. Believe it for the very work's sake. If I turn back over here to John chapter uh, 10, verse 30, he simply says, I and my Father are one. That's it. They're one. He says over here in that same chapter in verse 38, but if I, if I do, though ye believe me not, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I am, and I in him. This is uh, 1038 that I'm reading here from. And there's all kind of scriptures, not just the one that we just read to you, but it goes on and on. Here's another one in 1245. And he that seeth me seeth him that sent me. So Jesus is identifying himself then as the Father, praise the Lord. And these are all evidences in God's presence and his power is everywhere. And there's substantial evidence of it all around us. But when Jesus came, he was the proof that God Almighty, praise the Lord, made all things, did all things, and that God had visited mankind that man might be saved. 
in that scripture that says, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and what is man that thou hast visited him? And so God visited man through Jesus Christ. Now, I've got uh, about 10 more minutes. Let me move on a little bit further here. And I want to talk about the resurrection because there are circumstantial evidences of the resurrection. Let me, let me sort of show you here what I'm talking about. Uh, there was evidence that the resurrection had happened whenever they began to see things that had happened. They went to the sepulcher. I'm talking about whether it was the ladies or whether it was later on Peter and John who ran there and saw it empty. And when they saw the stone rolled away and the sepulcher empty, it was a witness and it was an evidence, but it was circumstantial. Everybody with me on that? It was circumstantial. Okay, he's not there anymore. You know, rumors are that he's, he rose from the dead but, and he's not there, but that's all I know about. And so there begin to be all of these circumstantial evidences that begin to crop up. Uh, they saw the stone roll away. They saw the sepulcher uh, empty. There was two angels who said, he is not here, he is risen. All right, that's nice for two angels to say, okay, but you know, how do I know they're angels, number one? Number two, how do I know that he's really risen, that, you know, and then it was Mary that showed up. And Mary, you know, said, you know, if, wherever he is, I, I'd like to, you know, if you got his body taken someplace else, I'll be glad to take it and, and uh, you know, do something with him, you know, and just to help things out. And, and uh, if, if, if they don't want, to, don't want him anymore, you know, they don't want to have his body. I'm going to read these verses to you here and uh, over here. And I think it's in John. Uh, John 19 and 20, I'm sorry, John 20, rather in 13, here's what it says. And they say unto her, woman, why weepest thou? This is the angels now talking to Mary. Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. See, they, they being somebody has taken him away. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing. And the angels noticed, never said anything else. They just said, woman, why weepest thou? And, then, and to Mary, it says here, and when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. Why do you think she didn't know it was Jesus? Because the last time she saw Jesus, he was hanging on the cross. He had thorns in his head. He had stripes on his back. His beard had been plucked out. Did you know that? It doesn't say that in the New Testament. It's recorded in the Old Testament that when he would be crucified, his beard would be plucked out. I think it's the 50th chapter of Isaiah. And that his beard would be plucked out and they would spit on him and all that. His face was marred. It talks about him, he was so marred and he was bleeding. And all of these things, when Jesus rose from the dead, all those wounds and all that was all gone. The only things he had left on his body to bear that show who he was, was the nail prints in his hand and the spear print in his side, the scar. That was all that he had left. And so at this point, when Mary saw him, she didn't know it was Jesus. And so she said, uh, she supposed that he was the gardener, said to him, sir, where have thou borne him? And tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Now listen to me closely. If you don't remember anything else I've said here this morning, don't forget what I'm going to tell you right now. 
Look at the next verse, verse 16. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. Oh. And when he said to her, Mary, nobody spoke her name like he spoke her name. And when he said Mary, she knew who he was just the way he said it. Now let me say to every one of us, you know, God knows who we are. He knows our name. He knows our individuality. He knows everything about us. And let me just say this, folks. When he speaks to you, you know it. It's not an, it's not an audible voice. You don't have a voice. You, I've never heard God audibly, but God's spoken to me many times. You know, through, through the word, always through the word. But whenever he spoke, I knew it was him. I will never, never will forget when I had to go in the surgery and have bypass some 17 years ago. And they were rolling, they were, uh, they were the, the morning they were to take me out and, and operate on me. I was, and I was doing my morning devotion, had my Bible. I'd gotten up, you know, woke, they wake you up early, get ready for surgery, you know, and everything. And they'd wake, waken me up and I said, wake me up about a half an hour earlier. I want to do a little devotion for it. And I read that scripture in Psalms and it said, ye, you shall not die. Just as big, bold letters. And whenever I read it, they just stood out like they were in, in hard, printed form and it said you shall not die and the Lord spoke to my heart I'm talking to you boy can you hear what I'm saying you aren't you're not going to die on this surgery we had a we had a, a man who had just pre previously died from that same surgery and the Lord and I wasn't worried I hadn't been concerned about it but even at that God still gave me the assurance and as they rolled me down down the hallway and my wife came out and started walking with me along the way. I said, honey, everything's going to be all right. I'll see you after the surgery. I'm not going to die. It's already taken care of. I knew that going into it. God has spoken to me. Praise the Lord. It's amazing how God can spoke and he can talk to all of us. He can tell you when you're doing something wrong. He can tell you whenever he's pleased with your life. He can speak to you from his word. He'll deal with your heart when things aren't right and you're trying to make it all right anyhow. And he said, no, 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 it's just not right. You know it's not right. I'm not going to, you know, and he'll let you know. But he knows how to call our name. And when we're so low and so discouraged and we feel like that we don't know how we're going to take another step, the Lord knows how to say your name. Hallelujah. That'll lift your spirits, lift your heart, and encourage you. Praise the Lord. Because he knows your name, folks. And whenever he said to Mary, Mary, that's all he had to say. The way he said it, that's proof. That's all I need. This is Jesus. The tomb's empty. The angel said he's not here. He's risen. Praise God. There's all kind of evidences all around me here that he's risen from the dead. But when he said Mary, I said, that's him. Praise God. That's the Lord. Praise God. In other words, nobody could tell her any different than that. Praise God. And then I'm going to just read one other verse here to you. If you look over just from, I think it's in the same chapter. And Jesus later appeared and, uh, to the disciples and said, uh, and, but Thomas wasn't there. Thomas was out doing this. I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. Everything. And when Thomas showed up with the 12, Thomas Didymus is his call. When Thomas showed up, they said, Thomas, guess what? Jesus is alive. He appeared. I don't believe it. I won't believe it till I can 
cuts the nail prints in his hand because I saw them put the nail prints in his hand. And, not, and I will not do it, believe it until I can put my hand in his side. I won't believe it. No, I don't believe it. I'm telling you, we all bear witness. Nope. I won't believe it. Now, he was one of those that's hard, hard to get through. But the Lord knows how to do it, and he still loves us anyhow. Even if we're stubborn and bullheaded about coming to God, God still loves us, and he wants you to be saved, and he'll keep dealing with you. And when he does, just say, thank you, Jesus. You, you don't give up on me. You haven't given up on me. And there were times a lot of us could say, I'm glad he never gave up on us. Praise the Lord. And then here's what happened. So in verse 24, but Thomas, one of the 12 called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, we have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, except I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger in the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe, period. That's it. I don't care what you say. Verse 26, and after eight days, Again, the disciples were within. That means in a, in a, in a room, in a house together. And Thomas with them. <laughs> I guess he said, next time I'm going to make sure I'm around. Then came Jesus, the door being shut, and stood in the midst of them. He just walked right through the wall of the door. It didn't matter. He's in resurrected form. And he says to them, peace be unto you. Folks, that's what Jesus will always bring to your heart is peace. I'm serious. He brings peace when there is no peace. Pastor preached on that Friday night. What a great message. Verse 27. Then saith he to Thomas, without Thomas saying anything, the Lord knew it. Reach hither thy finger and behold thy hand and, and behold thy hands and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faith, faithless, but believing. And the Bible says in verse 28, and Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord and my God. That's infallible proof I have got right here. No more questions, no more questions. But look how he doubted so long and so fiercely. And yet the Lord said, I still love you, Thomas. I'm gonna give you infallible proof. That's what God has given us, that infallible proof. Now look at the next verse, I'm gonna close. He says here, in that 29th verse, Jesus saith unto them, unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. And that's you and I. But one of these days, folks, he's coming back. He's coming back. We do not yet know how we shall appear, but we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We will have a body like as unto his glorified body. The dead in Christ shall rise first. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet them in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. The corruptible must, must put on incorruption. The mortal must put on immortality. That's the alive. Immortality is life eternal. God has got wonderful, wonderful hope for his church and for his people. And one day he's coming back, and it's not very far away. If you have not given your heart to God and given your life to him, there's no better time than on an Easter Sunday. God can fill you full of his love, his grace, his beauty, his glory, his power, give you a hope that you will not find anywhere else in this world. And when Jesus comes back one day, he will, you'll rise to go to, 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 with the Lord in heaven. Let's stand together and let's just thank him right now, every one of us. Thank God for infallible proofs that he is indeed alive and well. Jesus, we glorify you. 
We magnify you. We thank you, Lord, for this congregation here today. Bless the morning service. Touch our lives and hearts. Bless us, Lord, in this time that we have to worship you, God, on, in remembrance of the, your resurrection in Jesus' name. Amen. Remain standing, if you will. God.